Hey, and welcome back to the Cairo London Podcast. It's Craig McLean here, your host, and I took a little break from doing the pod. It's been a couple of months since we've laid down an episode, but I'm overjoyed to be welcoming Tom Mackay to the pod. Now, it's all about running this one, so if you're into running, um, listen as we deep dive into endurance running. Um, Tom's just completed the London Half uh, in a time of one hour and 10 minutes. And he's aiming to try and do a sub 2.30 marathon in a few weeks from now. That's the London Marathon he signed up to. He's run, this will be the fifth of the big six marathons that he's run. He's only 30 years of age. But we get into everything from like, you know, what do you actually do to prepare yourself and your body and training for running at that level of in speed and intensity for that period of time we get a little bit into the technology the new shoe technology for the so for you tech geeks you're gonna love that um but also you know he's only 30 years but he's he's actually 30 years old but he's he's squeezed quite a lot in there uh he's got this link to wimbledon tennis uh great story about bruce springsteen at the end um so yeah I uh, hope you enjoy this one. Um, I'd also like to thank Ground Coffee Society for the ongoing support of the pod. Um, you can obviously get onto their subscription coffee service so that it's delivered through your front door every month or every week, depending on how often you consume. Uh, but also head over to our Cairo London pod Instagram account and I'm going to share with you for this particular episode a discount code from our friends at Profeet. Um, Profeet I've been working with uh, for you know since I started working at Putney Chiropractic and you know for 15-20 years or so uh, they have been my go-to people for footwear and for their in-shoe support the footbeds that they make custom for you. So uh, go and check them out over at profeet.co.uk and uh, they're just in Fulham on Fulham Road. Um, and as I said, head to the Cairo London Pod uh, Insta account and I'll share you a code there um, for you to get a 10% discount off their products and services. Okay, let's listen to see what Tom's got to say. You must be feeling privileged to be the first guest back on the program. <laughs> Very privileged. <laughs> Very privileged to be sitting on one of my favorite benches in Russian Park with yeah. a cup of coffee. Well, the, the good thing about a podcast, as I've discovered after doing it for like uh, over a year now, is it is pretty much just having a chat and making up things as you go along. Also, in the long format that a podcast normally is, you can just speak about any rubbish. <laughs> there is no time limit. And uh, people can choose to turn on or off based on how rubbish the chat actually is. So, yeah. Um, We'll see how quickly we can get people to. But Tom, off. introduce yourself anyway. How, how, how do I? How should I introduce myself? Uh, I was thinking about this on the way. I mean, I uh, have been a cyclist, a football player, now a. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to say competitive runner. Periods of competitive running. Um, yeah, so I'd say for the last five or six years, I've been pretty much focused on marathon running and just getting out my small axe and chipping away at different PBs, whether it's marathon, half marathon, 10Ks. Um, before the pandemic, I was living and racing in New York and then 
found myself back in London and back in Russian Park specifically where I grew up cycling and running and yeah falling in love with endurance and hurting myself so what prompted I know there's been and sorry listeners there's been a bit of a break I'm sure all the fans out there are are desperate for new content so Tom thanks for being the first guest back after the summer of 2021 break not that I want to timestamp this at all yeah. <laughs> uh, but also what, it, what um, prompted me was that you've just competed a uh, smashed I think a half marathon in one hour and ten minutes uh, and a cup and change and uh, you have the London Marathon coming up pretty soon in how many weeks? Just under six weeks, yeah. October 4th, I think, yeah. And I just thought we could have a running-focused discussion, uh, although I'm sure we're going to be covering uh, lots of stuff about running and endurance like you're talking about, a little bit about Cairo, a little bit about Australia, a little bit about Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. All the important things. A little bit about Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, hopefully nothing about cycling because I'm yeah, sure yeah. there's too much chat about that already. Uh, maybe a little bit about technology, shoe yeah. technology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's the sort of thing. But um, that we will be hopefully having a yabber about. Yeah. Um, but set the scene. Where are we actually perched? For those that obviously can't see. So we're at what I like to call the heart of Richmond Park. In um, if you look at a map of Richmond Park, there's two ponds called Pen Ponds, which literally look like a heart from above and we're sitting on a bench overlooking these two beautiful ponds on a Friday morning with um, a very relaxed feel with so far very few runners but a lot of cyclists coming along and uh, yeah I mean since I've been back in the UK and during the pandemic it's been pretty mad to see how busy the park has been almost all day every day but i think this is a sweet spot where very few cars and just yeah dog walkers and uh people like craig and i <laughs> now you've run here which is appropriate i've obviously cycled here because uh, i am one of those cyclists that spends far too much time in the yeah. park in fact it is my place for meditation quite a few solo rides just cruising around here clearing the 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 brain fog i'm sure you clear yeah many brain challenges while running through here right yeah yeah yeah. i mean it was one of the interesting things when they first shut the park back in you know march april last year because you know they closed the roads but they also closed the roads to cyclists so I was doing a lot of running on the roads, which was an interesting, you know, I'd grown up cycling on those roads and suddenly runners claimed those roads for their own. Cyclists weren't allowed. Um, <laughs> and it sort of turned into a mini like racetrack for runners. Um, that was a short lived period. But yeah, now, I mean, if I'm in the park, I mean, the beauty of the park is you just have so much variety. You know, today I almost exclusively ran just on trails, um, if you want to do a harder effort, you know, you can get on the road and do a pretty decent 5K. Um, it's pretty challenging terrain as well. It's pretty hard to find a mile which doesn't have some sort of undulation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, between Russian Park and then, you know, if you're feeling adventurous, cross over into Wimbledon Common, yeah, you have almost 
you know, 10 plus K of off-road, beautiful, um, uninterrupted running. So look, for those out there who don't even know what like um, a one hour, 10 half marathon means, um, to me, I think I always break it down to, and sorry for those that are in miles, maybe we'll do it in miles anyway, um, but sort of like, you know, really fast kilometer running, I think is done in four minutes, right? Which is yeah. like a 40 minute 10K yeah. um, or four minute K. However, in order to do a one ten half, how many minutes are you doing a kilometer? It's it's around the three forty mark, three forty three fifty. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny when I was running on Sunday. I think you know when you're younger, you think of half marathon as being a endurance event, and as I sort of started training more competitively, you realize the pace you're running at it kind of stops being an endurance event, and it feels like two 10Ks stacked on top of each other yeah. where there isn't that sense of like, okay, I just need to find a groove because, yeah, on Sunday, I just feel like you're kind of holding on by your fingernails and it's that sense of just like this pace, I'm like th- I'm trying to ride this line. You know, it very much is the distance where you're on that threshold pace and it, you know, in cycling terms, it reminds me of like a 25-mile time trial where it's like it's pretty much an hour of effort where you're constantly toing and froing between can I hold this? <laughs> can I hold this? Um, because as you say, like, you know, if, I guess if you're doing a 35-minute 10K, then that's a one hour and 10, 20K. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, and how, then, but how many K is a half marathon? 21. So you just add on, add on another K for... <laughs> so you've got to be doing like sub 35 to yeah. do a 110. Yeah. Um, and put that into miles for us. It was uh, like 520, you know, f- uh, I was trying for 520 pace, but it was, in reality, it was closer to 525 pace. Okay. Um, yeah. And one of the unique challenges of the uh, big half in London is you spend the f- you know second mile going through the Limehouse Tunnel, so your GPS goes haywire, and then you spend a lot of the race essentially running blind, which <laughs> is an interesting place to be because, yeah, you know, in terms of gauging effort, all you know is that this feels bloody hard. But you, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know until I got into the final mile or so what time I was on because my watch thought I'd stopped running in Canary Wharf <laughs> but my, my my heart rate had other ideas so hang on did you literally have it sort of shut itself off or did it pick itself up on the other side the watch yeah, um, I mean because I don't have it to stop even when I'm you know I have it manual stop it I looked on Strava and it it says I ran 12.9 miles which is not a half marathon so yeah. there are parts where I was you know my pet, they completely lost me. So you must feel, did it actually even happen? If, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If it's not recorded on Strava, there is no evidence of you actually yeah. running through that tunnel. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> one of the funny things as well is I remember, you know, when I, I think, you know, the first time I ran a half marathon, I was like, oh, running under 130 would be good. And that's like a, you know, nice, clean goal a lot of people go for. Yeah. 
and you know obviously as you just train more and get more competitive that number just keeps on going down down you know you're like oh maybe i can do this um but it doesn't it doesn't you know obviously 20 minutes in terms of the amount of time i've chopped off my pb that's a lot of time but it doesn't doesn't feel like it's easier just because i'm spending less time doing it um you know i i mean i think that's something which definitely happens with a marathon which is when um you know people are watching and they're like oh you know the people who are running five-hour marathons that's a really tough day and i'm like it's not it doesn't get magically easier when you're running a two and a half marathon you know <laughs> the pain is just more intense um and yeah, I, yeah. well it's a different thing though because then if you're extrapolating that up and like you know the one and a half hour half in theory you're aiming then for a sub three marathon same sort of thing you know 110 uh, goes up to 220 but it, surely it's not you know that does that actually mean you're just doing four 10ks as opposed to yeah i mean a marathon that's or, where someone you know the elite guys are at that level where the marathon has become a speed event i'm not quite there yet uh yeah because you know if you're watching you know elliot kipchoge in the olympic marathon this year he was essentially cruising and then he can just drop a 14 minute 5k at the you know when he wants to <laughs> um and those kinds of accelerations which yeah to most people are i mean rightfully so mind-boggling and yeah it's like unless you have that pedigree on the track and sort of that speed work it's very hard um and that you know that's where somewhere it does remind me of cycling where you know i remember when i was a kid you know someone always spoke to me about you know whether certain cyclists being like diesel engines and they just kind of lock in at a speed mm. and they can't necessarily respond to changes in pace but they can just keep going at that pace yeah um and it's a very hard thing to do when you're in the middle of a race to suddenly respond to accelerations and have that you know capacity um but also just yeah the the muscles in your legs you need to be able to switch gears like that is um pretty remarkable because so look t take us back though i mean um just even I i'm really interested in in how you even prepare yourself to sort of be going that intense and i totally take your point that it's like yeah it's definitely not easier doing a hour and ten half compared to a two hour half you know um in in some ways it's more intensely painful for you you know um, yeah. but uh there's there's got to be an element of preparation or you know a, a lot of preparation to get your body used to doing that right um so talk us through some of that stuff you do you must do a little bit of speed work um do you actually have a coach yeah i mean the kind of core components of like marathon training and half marathon training i think are pretty similar for most people where you know you're i run pretty much every day most you know over i'd say three quarters of my runs i'm not even thinking about pace i'm just it's just time on feet essentially like today yeah. you know i have a loose number um you know i want to hit um seven or eight miles but i'm not you know if my legs feel like running faster i'll run faster but you know i'm i'm just really turning over the legs but then in the course of a week there will be you know not this week because my legs are knackered but you know go to the track one day and then you're doing those 
um, fairly intense what I know in pure track terms would be like mid distance where you're doing like 1k repeats much faster than half marathon pace um, or you're doing one mile repeats and so which, which track do you use around here? Uh, Kings Meadow it's okay. the uh, home of Chelsea women's football team and formerly AFC Wimbledon but the, okay. the Dons have now moved moved back to their um, spiritual home yeah exactly uh, so um, how, how many k repeats would you do? On a, you know, I think the most I would do in the build up to a marathon is around the 12. So 12. 12 in a row. Yeah. One minute I mean, on, one minute off. Uh, 12, 1K, you know, a 400 meter recovery in between those Ks. But yeah. Um, yeah. So like a full lap recovery. Yeah. And then you do just go right back two and into a half it. lap sort of sprint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, earlier on in the training, you might be doing shortest, like 400 meter repeats. But as you're getting closer to the longer distance stuff, you're just starting to do. Yeah. I mean, what I just call like really uncomfortable <laughs> interval stuff where it's like two mile interval, you know, four by two mile, which, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at like a half marathon or a marathon, you're just like breaking it down into its component parts and trying to get to a place where the paces don't feel so intimidating like in your legs. So like, you know, when I started the race on Sunday, I shouldn't in theory in the first mile be like, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> Did it feel like that or not? Uh, well, mainly, yeah. I, my, from a very young age, I've always started every single race. Like I, I, any idea of doing it conservatively is not something I, I, I'd much rather die in a blaze of glory than, start a race conservatively and have that, you know, voice in my head saying maybe I could have run a bit faster. So yeah, nice. I, I think my first mile was close to a sub five minute pace. So right. probably right. a little too, a little too much. <laughs> um, how many hours a week are you on foot? Uh, Training? I, yeah, I mean, it's around, you know, mileage wise, I'm averaging around 60, 70 miles, which... You know, I know a lot of people who are in a similar kind of pace bracket to me and they're running a little closer to the 80, 90. I think between my, you know, spinal issues, my hamstring issues, my, I mean, just like mentally as well. I think I've found a sweet spot here. Um, you know, when I've run higher mileage, I think I just kind of lose some of that quality where... Yeah, you know, if you're running 80, 90 miles a week, that's 10 hours plus of running. And, you know, running close to 10 miles more every day. And, yeah. yeah. And that's a lot. And sort of, you know, I mean, 10 hours of cycling a week is a lot. But yeah. uh, there's a lot of downtime when you're cycling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In theory, because there's a lot of, like, you know, dodging bits and pieces. Whereas running, you're running all the time. So yeah. it's like, a, I think, a much bigger impact on your body, isn't it? You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first started doing longer distance running, everyone always said it was like a one to three ratio. So like a one hour run is the same as like a three hour ride, which I don't know how. I mean, it's a fairly arbitrary conversion. But yeah, I mean, a hard one hour run is, yeah, it takes, I mean, yeah, the the race was on Sunday and I'm, I'm still feeling the impact in my legs. But <laughs> uh, so coach. 
Yeah. Your coach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. have been with someone for a while? Or? Yeah, you know, I was part of a team for a while and then I sort of started training by myself and um, got in put in touch with a uh, guy out in Portland in the US, Jake Stout, who's also a physio, which I think was a good mixture for me to have where someone who was aware of my, you know, injury problems and knowing that you can't necessarily just like throw a hundred mile week at me and, you know, prioritizing things like, you know, doing more yoga, doing just like doing other things to keep my body, the kind of body maintenance that I need to do to be able to try and run fast. Yeah. So, I mean, there's the the elephant in the room now your chiropractor is actually uh <laughs> discussing this with you yeah do you do much yoga stretching because i know you know that, that classic moment when i think i first met you years ago on the chiro table and i ask you to bend over and touch your toes yeah. and i'm pretty sure it's the worst i've seen in, in a long time <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> there's a nice bit of the heathrow flight path coming back yeah. up, by the way <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't pick up too much on, on here. But no, so the question I had, though, is that are you someone who's kind of like takes that kind of like the, you know, the, the, the leopard, tiger, you know, cat approach to sport with regards to I don't need to stretch. Yeah. I, in fact, stretching in some way affects negatively my performance. Um, or are you someone who is pretty rigorous at doing it? Yeah, I mean, I think for years, I uh, my my hamstrings were a constant source of angst in my in my teenage years. Where, yeah, what you're describing of trying, you know, seeing me trying to touch my toes or a physio picking up my leg and trying to stretch my hamstring, it's almost like the eighth wonder of the world where people are like, "How is this? How are you even able to move your body?" And for years, I just thought, until I can touch my toes, I will not be able to avoid injury and that felt like a fairly unhelpful way of thinking about you know mobility and my approach to it and I know for years you were telling me to do yoga and in my youthful naivety I was I think I was intimidated by the prospect of going into a yoga class and mm. being around people who were touching their toes and doing downward dog and yeah it wasn't until I found a class thanks to you know my girlfriend in new york where it was you know specifically for it was like yoga for runners and you know i went there in the first class i think i you know made an absolute fool of myself but i was like okay i can wrap my head around this and then you know i started doing that once a week and even in just doing it once a week it made a massive difference in terms of just yeah, those little niggles which always happen when you're training for a marathon. Um, I'd say the interesting thing which I've done over the last year or so, mainly because you know, we've been stuck at home more, is doing, you know, in the past I would just do one yoga session a week and kind of tick that box. Whereas now I do shorter 20-minute sessions on days where I'm not doing a hard session three or four times a week. And that seems to almost be better than just doing it once a week just having it more frequently there yeah. and yeah you know i don't i can't touch my toes now and i don't you know for me it's like i've stopped even you know to your point about 
being, you know, having that tightness, I think there is an element where, yeah, having that tightness in my legs is an asset in some senses. But there's been periods of my life where it's definitely gone too far the other way where um, I would do a hard effort and then my body would essentially be crippled afterward. Yeah. No, it's it's lots of interesting points there you know that idea of going to a yoga class and being intimidated by people who are naturally flexible you know and uh, you speak to people like that and they sort of you know they just collapse like a suitcase in half um and they don't even try to do that you know and 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 they suffer from all sorts of challenges associated with sort of that almost hypermobility stuff you know but I think you're right. I think that's uh, one of the reasons maybe why you can run so fast is you do have these kind of muscles that are ready to pounce, you know, and and, and that's kind of you've used that in your favour. But then you've also found out that, and I don't think the goal ever should be for you to touch your toes yeah. or for yeah. you to sort of really, you know, rip those muscles to shreds because then you would probably lose some of that performance anyway. But like you did touch on, that idea of finding the moves that are right for you and um, not being intimidated by it and therefore unlocking some of these things that were giving you the challenges, you know. And, and so obviously one of the things when you do have a tighter hamstring is your lower back and your lumbar discs and all get a little bit challenged by that whole process too, you know. So, uh, you know, that's, it sounds like that's what you've managed to sort of work on and unravel naturally yourself anyway which is then obviously maybe helping your performance as well right yeah i mean i think obviously just like the mental part of doing it and um you know having carving out that time where yeah i am just like moving my body in a very i i think you know one of the biggest dangers of running is it's obviously just like such a repetitive motion and you're only really working in one plane and (laughs) that plane of motion you know if you're running seven plus hours a week your body just gets very rigid and you know just in terms of like day-to-day functionality um doing the yoga stuff just makes it easy if i'm just trying to move through the world in a way which isn't causing pain or um you know i want to go play a game of tennis i can go and play a game of tennis and not worry that i won't be able to walk for the next five days (laughs) Um, yeah, just doing this stuff to, um, you know, whether it's my spine or my hamstrings, just put it in a better, pl- uh, you know, baseline is in a much better place. Do you have a, is there like an online resource that you can share with anyone? I was just, I, I think I was about to sing the praises of Apple Fitness, who I think Apple, you know, to try and compete with Peloton started offering these, you know, hit yoga, treadmill, all the all of the above type classes and the yoga ones yeah it's like 10 20 30 or 45 minutes and four or five different instructors great music oh, cool so i don't even know i haven't found that as a resource is that like is it the an app that apple has yeah I, you know it's one of the things you can subscribe to along with like apple music and all these other and apple tv yeah it's like you have it all as part of a bundle and then um, and it's kind of like a peloton offering sort of a thing exactly right? um, yeah yeah like yeah. The, do they even have a, a static bike type of yeah session? they do yeah, yeah. yeah. like it's uh, direct competition to peloton basically yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice yes um, good old apple yeah um but that well, that's cool. Listeners will be happy with that, I think. The um, 
Uh, so you, th- there is a particular, yeah. So for example, you can do a ten-minute yoga yeah. running and session. Yeah, the thing, right? the thing um, we, I, you know, I haven't spent too much time with Peloton, but with yoga specifically, the thing they do, which I think is really good, is they'll have three instructors. They'll have the main instructor teaching, but then they essentially have someone offering variations, and <laughs> you know, that is me doing the very the inflexible person in the background. It's like you know, if you can't touch your toe, you know, maybe doing a forward fold isn't the right thing for you to be doing right now. Here's an alternative for you to be doing so that you're constantly able to gauge like, okay, if I try and do this, am I going to rip something or... And they literally have someone in the video in the background doing the inflexible version of that, right? And they're very nice. They don't call it the inflexible version. They just call it the alternative version. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes you feel much better about yourself. Okay, cool. So I was going to then ask you, because a natural question leading on from that is you are obviously a regular and have been down at Putney Cairo for ages. Uh, I think, yeah, I was trying to work out how long. I think I was, I think I was 19 when I first started coming. And So can you put in words for me what you feel the process is or the benefit is for you when you go to the chiropractor? Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a hard thing, <laughs> hard thing to do. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think so much of like training and getting into the mindset of, you know, when you have a marathon training block, which is, you know, stand at like 12 weeks, there's all these things you build into your week, which kind of put you in the right frame of mind to be able to hit the paces you want to hit and going to see you know yourself or dr brian is very much part of that in my week where yeah you know i'll have a hard session on the weekend and then knowing in the back of my head okay i'm seeing dr craig i'm seeing dr brian on monday or tuesday and just that sort of maintenance work where you know i think the the buzzword they were using a lot in the u.s was prehab but prehab, yeah. <laughs> um but you know i think there is a element of truth to that where yeah, just catching things before they escalate into, pro- you know, I think one of the benefits of being back here for an extended period of time where, you know, normally I, I would, you know, fly back into London over the holidays and in the space of a month we would try and cram what felt like a year's worth of chiropractor work into a few weeks is, yeah, I mean, I haven't had the same issues I've had with my spine and, um, you know, for me, it's just like also just that communal aspect of just like, yeah, I've been running or cycling or occasionally taking the bus to Putney Chiropractic since I was a kid. And, um, you know, going to get coffee across the road, you know, seeing what's going on on Lower Richmond Road, just like the whole process of just going there, I think is part of just yeah, preparing myself uh, for what I'm trying to do and also just, yeah, letting my body relax. And yeah, you know, I think that's one, what I recommend um, chiropractor to friends or, you know, other people I know who are marathon trainers. I think the misconception sometimes is that it's like painful or it's going to be stressful or there's like this element of fear. Whereas, yeah, you know, I just see it as an opportunity to, um, have someone who, you know, in your case has known <laughs> what's going on with my body for a very long period of time. And there's that trust where, yeah, you know, you are seeing things in my spine that, um, you know, you have that sort of pedigree of, 
yeah, this is what your spine looked like five years ago. This is, you know, and being able to just offer that, like, I think, you know, you're trending in the right direction or maybe we need to tweak things a little bit. But yeah, just giving you that confidence in your body, I think, is the main thing. I, I do. We've always done that thing where I, I love the way that you use us as well and the way it's always kept simple, right? We encourage people to ride their bike straight through the front door, throw it under the stairs, get on the table and carry on their ride. Or you do the same thing yeah. with running where you literally run in. We don't care if you're a bit sweaty. Get on the table. <laughs> doesn't take long to do an adjustment. The other thing is the convenience of what we do. It's like not as though you have to sort of dedicate an hour a week to sort of no. the whole process too. So it's a, a streamlined process which um, is really effective in a really short period of time. But uh, I'm obviously biased, and this is why I was sort of asking you, is that I, I have no idea how people ride a bike for 10 hours a week or run or train for a marathon 10 hours a week uh, or less without a chiropractor, yeah. you know, um, because it's like – it's just a natural accumulation of tension and imbalance and, you know, like whether it be hip flexor tightness or neural irritation or lower spine tension or neck, you know, sub back of the skull tension or, you know, um, nerve irritation down the arms or chest tightness, yeah, you know, yeah. and your lungs aren't expanding properly. And, um, you know, all, all that sort of stuff, as you said, is kind of being able to we're sort of able to screen you fairly quickly and work out where you need help. Um, we have the background information to know some of the challenges that you carry, um, and a combination of the background and the screening comes up with this pretty clear you know process of just clearing out tension. And even though it's obviously not resolving flexibility issues, it's certainly helping with some of the things that just build up naturally when you are doing that amount of work. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think the tension word is key there because, I mean, that ultimately is what <laughs> training is, is just like week by week just ramping up that training load and just ramping up that tension. So you get to a place like I was last weekend where you really are turning the screws and, you know, in a very literal way you feel like your your body is being stretched out and the the screws are turning and yeah monday morning you wake up and you're just like not i mean it, there's the physical part of it but also just like yeah that you know those few days before a race when you're trying to get into that mindset of like okay i'm going i'm going to about to go venture to a dark place <laughs> and yeah you need to have those places where you are just releasing tension and whether that's um you know, 10 minutes doing yoga the morning after a race or it's, you know, seeing you guys. Yeah, I don't, to your point, I don't know how people survive without it. Yeah. All right, well, kind words, thanks. Um, let's just kind of evolve into maybe footwear. Uh, and I was going to actually ask you anyway because... Uh, I'm. I was going to negotiate a sponsor for this particular episode, which is going to be Profeet on Fulham Road. Lovely. They don't quite know that yet, but um, hopefully, on the introduction, the preamble to this, I will have shared a discount code with the listeners. Oh. Um, but um, let's talk about sort of those crazy or a few of those little changes in the shoe technology recently. Um, and also, just wanted to ask your opinion about. Um, I've always used. Uh, Profit as my go-to people for in-shoe support. You know what I mean, um, and and or certainly assessment of um, uh, 
whether or not you need some sort of not corrective device but supportive device yeah. in your shoe to sort of help you with um, the stresses that are placed on your body with running. But have you ever used anything like that with regards to orthotics or footbeds? Yeah, I mean, there was a period where I was using orthotics pretty consistently before I started running a little more seriously. And yeah, I think just in terms of the evolution of how, I mean, obviously with marathon running, there's a lot of technology going on with foam and carbon fiber plates, but just at a base level, the kind of approach to how people should go about buying a pair of running shoes has shifted a lot in the last, yeah, definitely in the last five years, but even 10 years where I've been running, where I think in the past, in a very kind of restrictive way, people felt like running shoes were almost a prescription and you went to a running store and they told you, you know, you overpronate, so these are the shoes you can wear and these are the shoes essentially you're confined to wearing for the rest of your life. And, you know, I was someone who went to a running store, you know, when I first started running and, you know, classic story. They said, oh, you pronate, you should wear a stability shoe and that's that. And that is not to say that stability shoes don't have a place, but I think... Uh, you know, one of the things I do, which is obviously a luxury of and also an un, <laughs> an unhealthy spending habit, is um, having different shoes for different purposes. So, you know, if I'm the the shoe I use for a race is different to the shoe I use today. The shoe I use today is different to the shoe I use when I'm down at the track. And you know, I think in terms of just getting your feet used to i think your feet benefit from running in a variety of different shoes but also if you're just confining yourself to one model for the rest of your life i think you're going to in terms of you know back to my earlier point about running just being a very repetitive motion your foot is just going to get used to the same pattern so the more you can do to experiment with different shoes and also you know i think at a the you know i obviously have a lot of friends who ask me oh what shoes should i run in and it really is such a personal question, but the best piece of advice I can give people is just like running the shoe that feels comfortable and natural to you. Like running, you know, sometimes you put on a pair of shoes and it feels like a glove and that's great, but sometimes you put on a pair of shoes and it just feels like a coffin. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people will persevere with the coffin because they've been told I need to run in this shoe or else... Um, I'll get injured when the reality is, you know, if you're not running in a shoe which feels comfortable to you, then you're going to have a lot more problems. Yeah. You know, as, uh, I heard an interesting analogy with cycling, you know, where there's like two types of people in sort of the cycling world and there are those that are the micro adjusters and there are those that are kind of, I guess the, maybe you call it, I forget if it was like the macro adjuster or whatever, but the micro guys are the guys that are constantly tweaking with their position and yeah. their shoe position and the saddle height and handlebars and all that sort of stuff because they kind of feel like their body, you know, if, if they just get one millimeter, like I think Mark Cavendish is that yeah, classic yeah, yeah. guy who, you know, in the middle of a five-hour ride, he'll go back to the team car and get the mechanic to drop his seat by a millimeter yeah. because he feels like his body changes in the middle yeah. of a five-hour ride, right? And then you get someone else who will literally be able to swap a bike in the middle of a, you know, with a teammate, um, have the saddle height completely wrong and, and, <laughs> and just kind of yeah. gets on with it. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, um, I think you're right. I think at your level where you're sort of doing that amount of running, um, 
uh, it's probably good for your body to sort of have a variety of, of things that you're running on to sort of between you and the ground. Um, but, you know, I can imagine as well, it's, it's you know, if it, it, the whole point of this as well is not just sort of doing that thing and looking at you standing and going, yes, you pronate, therefore you need yeah. this shoe. It's that idea of like, well, maybe put yourself on a slow-mo treadmill and actually, actually have a look at yeah, you and yeah. see, you know, uh, are you actually pronating or is it your knee that's actually creating the problem or is it the hip or is it the lower back or, or, or what is it, you know? Um, and, and that's where I think the value comes into sort of having an analysis like that um, and then trying to work out whether or not, you know, not everyone needs a footbed, you know? Um, yeah, and, you know, I think when, <laughs> when it becomes like these binaries of, you know, Heel striking is bad. Four foot striking is the ultimate goal. And it's like, well, you know, you look at some of the elite marathoners, they heel strike. Yeah. They're running <laughs> 210, you know, lower marathons. And yeah, that's not to say that it's the most efficient way always, but you can, you know, there's a, as with, you know, my hamstring flexibility, I think you have to work within the parameters of what your body naturally is inclined towards doing. And, mm the amount of time and effort you would have to spend on correcting your form or trying to transition from being a heel striker to a forefoot striker. Um, it's just really hard. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember, what are you in between? I don't know. I don't even know what I am anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it depends on the Your day. Feet are moving so fast. Yeah. No one can tell. Um, I was talking to, uh, podiatrist friend of mine who you know i was asking him about one of the things which came up in yoga which was you know foot strengthening exercises and picking up things with your toes and um you know trying to awaken the muscles in your feet and he wasn't dismissive of them but he was basically saying the amount of force you're putting through your feet every single day no amount of picking up towels <laughs> with your toes is gonna correct or but yeah, essentially, um, I mean, he was at, uh, as a podiatrist, he was advocating for, you know, orthotics in certain use cases. But he was the one who actually said to me, at the paces you're racing at, ortho, you know, orthotic, naturally your body is almost going to sort of iron out a lot of the inefficiencies that an orthotic would try to right. correct. So. Because I can imagine you maybe use orthotics at a time where you weren't running as much as you are. And yeah. You probably yeah, had yeah. more of a weakness within the sort of foot or sort of an imbalance within there. And so just now your body's adapted to maybe it sort of helped you get to a point. And then you've kind of, you know, I can imagine when you are going at that pace, the idea of having too much in your shoe, you yeah. want to have the bare minimum, nothing yeah. in there. And so yeah, yeah. what what is your ratio? Do you use one of these carbon plated yeah, sort mean, of spring loaded <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't feel like you have a choice. I mean, if you go to the start of a marathon now, all you see, I mean, it's mad, just are the, you know, what is now called the Nike next percent two. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of the last four or five years in shoe technology, it's been the sort of biggest leap forward there's ever been. And So is that the actual shoe, Nike next percent? Yeah, Nike next percent two. Two. Um, Which cost how much? I think they retail at 200. Uh, they actually just dropped the price. Uh, I think they're 220 pounds now. Um, and yeah, I mean, they are the shoe which has led to this 
arms race between manufacturers all putting something in carbon there. fiber plates in their so, shoes. So there are other manufacturers who every, are, yeah, every, everyone has one now. Everyone has one now, but Nike's is still, you know, I mean, they were the ones who first created the technology and they are the ones who, you. I mean, that race I did on Sunday, I, I'd say 90% might be a conservative estimate as to the number of people who are wearing that 96% shoe. 96% in yeah. Nike next And they come in very broad. I mean, you don't really have a choice. They're fluorescent green, fluorescent pink. or So it's very clever marketing because you, if you're watching a marathon now, you just see a sea of uh, just like disco lights on people's feet. And um, yeah, I mean, they really have just changed the whole way people think about, you know, racing footwear. Because when I first started racing competitively it was all about lightweight lightweight and essentially people were running marathons in racing flats with spikes yeah it was like uh almost zero cushioning and yeah i mean it was almost a spike uh type shoe without the spike obviously and you know very quickly nike kind of found this sweet spot between having incredible cushioning where the you know the stack height on these shoes is yeah i mean you feel like you are wearing you know high heels when you're just walking around in them because of the stack height is so aggressive and then that propulsion you get from the plate where i mean if you're wearing them and you're just standing still you feel yourself like rocking forward um (laughs) Sounds like it's worth 220 pounds. Yeah, so, I mean, unfortunately... Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I must say that uh, Nike does not sponsor the podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, however, um, just contact our management team if you're interested, anyone out there from Nike, because um, not that I'm going to be using any of these yeah. Nike shoes myself, given that I run like a baby giraffe. But uh, anyway... Uh, no, it's uh, that's interesting because I didn't know uh, about that really, or because you know I know um, like the Olympics, there was like that four hundred meter hurdle guy smashed the, or you know took yeah. a fair chunk off the world yeah. record. I mean, they, yeah, they took um, the same technology from the road and they brought it yeah, to, to the, the track. track. And then uh, you know, I think the track was a bit springy over there too, or something, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, it um, was. So um, <laughs> <laughs> they've yet to do that to the London Marathon course, unfortunately. They haven't rolled no, out the springy, out the uh, springy tarmac. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Um, Nike, do you sort of train exclusively in Nike or you mix up the brands as well? Mix it up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, part of what I was saying about just trying different shoes and just, I think that's what, if you are a bit of a um, shoe nerd, there's just so much going on in running technology right now where it's kind of fun to see what brands are doing. And obviously Nike is the the alpha in a lot of senses, but, you know, Saucony are doing interesting things, like New Balance are doing interesting things. Everyone's sort of trying to, um, yeah, rethink what was traditionally thought of as um, the most efficient running shoe. And, yeah, I mean, I think as someone who's, you know, been running for a while now the thing i appreciate is we've we've come a long way from the vibrams barefoot running movement of what yeah. you know the born to run era where ever you know you're running on woman and common and you saw people either running barefoot or running in vibrams and then um 
you know, my mate who was a podiatrist was very happy because they were getting a, a lot of business at that time. But yeah, now the kind of cushioning technology has come so far that, um, yeah, you, you know, even if your legs are feeling trashed, there are, you know, most shoes you're wearing now just have a base level of support and cushioning that is... Because that was that thing, that born-to-run thing, uh, which was probably about 10, 15 years ago, wasn't it? You know? Yeah. Uh, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, we got to get back to barefoot, get rid of cushioning, get yeah. rid of, you know, it's unnatural for our bodies to do that. Did you actually go through some barefoot sort of Vibram no, stuff? Because I, I, <laughs> that would have trashed you, I bet. And I bet yeah, you, well, yeah, definitely. I, I bet you it does work really well for a certain percentage of people who oh, yeah. have the ability to adapt and load or, you know, dissipate that load, you know. Um, but yeah, someone yeah. like yourself that we know would not have a great capacity for that. No. Probably embraces and loves the cushioning. Oh, that, God, yeah. You know, I'm, that's I'm max cushioning all the time. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that was the thing with the barefoot is like people went from spending their whole lives in running shoes with cushioning to suddenly saying, okay, barefoot's the way forward. And then doing all of their trying to go from zero to a hundred in the space of a week and yeah, finding out that their body wasn't necessarily receptive to um, suddenly putting all that load through feet who had become acclimatized to a lot a lot more support and kush. Wow. All right, so full circle, London Marathon in about a month or so, or October, right? First weekend of October? First is week, weekend of October, which yeah. obviously is not normal marathon timing, but with the pandemic, there is now um, a sort of six-week period where the six major world marathons, the majors, they call them, are all happening within the space of six weeks. So you've got Boston, New York, London, Chicago, Tokyo, Berlin, all in a six-week period. So so I guess you can't do them all. No. I bet uh, you there was some mad person doing them all. But, yeah, um, I mean, I think that there's one weekend where Chicago is happening on the Sunday and then Boston which, you know, traditionally is always on a marathon Monday. So you'd you'd have to fly from Chicago to Monday, uh, to Boston overnight. And then, yeah, I don't envy people <laughs> going for that. But, yeah, you know, London is obviously where I grew up and it was the marathon I'd always, in, the, the major marathon I'd always intended to do last as a sort of spiritual homecoming. But... Unfortunately, my plans to do Tokyo were scuppered, so now it's London before Tokyo. But um, So you, you've done them all except for London and, and Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah. Right. And what's your PB? Um, 233 in Chicago in 2019, yeah. Do you reckon you're faster now than you were then? I, 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 I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. I, and what's your, what's your aim for London? Under 2.30 is the sort of arbitrary, stupid goal that I have set myself. I mean, that's the problem. That's the unhealthy part of marathon running is, you know, when I first started running, all I wanted to do was run a sub three-hour marathon. And then I was like, okay, once I do that, I'll be done. And then you run a sub three-hour marathon. And then you're like, well, maybe 2.45. And then you do that. And then you're like, well, maybe 2.45. And then suddenly you're just constantly chipping away at it and 
I mean, obviously, I get a lot of pleasure and enjoyment out of it, but there is going to be a point where the uh, <laughs> the PBs will stop coming. Um, no, well, good luck, mate. It's um, uh, always good to have these little targets, isn't it? Um, how old are you? We didn't even cover that. How old are you now? Well, I mean, that's the 2.30. Uh, so I turned 30 next weekend. So the idea was sub 2.30 for <laughs> the year I turned 30. Um, but, yeah, I mean, London is, as I found out on the weekend, there are a lot of very fast club runners here. And I felt a little bit like a... Uh, a lone ranger because there's all these guys in their club singlets and um, I'm just the the lone wolf out in my um, unaffiliated, unsponsored <laughs> um, gear, but very much looking forward to it. And um, yeah, sub two thirty, bring it on. Yeah, and you know, with a one ten, that must be helping with the confidence. So yeah, I mean. <sighs> It's hard to, you know, I think as we said earlier, it's a half marathon and a marathon, it's it's helpful to a certain point. But, yeah, the, be the best way I've thought about the marathon is, you know, you're essentially doing a 20-mile run and then trying to run a 10K at the end of it because that's what it feels, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, the cliche is the marathon doesn't start until mile 20. Okay. And for someone whose tendency is to go out hard, that that has caused some issues in the past <laughs> because, yeah, you're really just trying to keep things conservative until, yeah, I mean, I think once you go past that 20-mile marker, then it's all, that's where the endurance comes in and that's where you know, the race is really going to be decided, but... Um, and just so, you know, well, I think we should change tack after this question, which is, are you then going to run with that kind of guy who is the 230 guy, or do you not follow those pacing guys at uh, all? They don't have them for those paces. Ah, right. No one can yeah, actually try and no. do a... I think, <laughs> I think it gets... I think the lowest they go down to, maybe they have a... I think... I don't think they go past three. Yeah, they got the three guy. Because three right? is like... Yeah. Obviously, that is such a big goal for a lot of people. For a lot yeah, of people, yeah. but c trying to find someone who can—I mean, first of all, just trying to like pace it consistently is tough. Yeah. Where yeah. for any of your listeners, I would not recommend running with a pacer. I feel like that forces you into following the. I mean, obviously, they're trying to do even splits, but yeah. I'm not—I'm not an even split advocate, and I feel like there's certain miles where you're going to want to open up a little bit and rigidly sticking to, oh, I need to be running this pace right now mm. isn't a helpful thing to be doing. Um, no. So, yeah, unfortunately, there's, there's not a pacer, but there are, you know, as with any of these, like, milestone times, there are a lot of people who will be trying to go for that time. Yeah. So you'll find a, a pack and no. try and hold off. Yeah. <laughs> What are you aiming for? Yeah. yeah, three. Okay, good. I'm staying with you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is one of the interesting things in marathons. Is sometimes you get very chatty people, and <laughs> it's it's nice in some senses, but uh, I'm I, I don't have the energy to be chatting right now. No, I can't imagine. Yeah. Anyway, um, hey, just quickly mention some of this other cool stuff that you've fitted into your 30 years of your life. Mm -hmm. You're a uh, what are you at Wimbledon now? Uh, so. 
having grown up in, you know, going to school in Wimbledon, working in Wimbledon, I now work, you know, for the last you, 10 years. You were a ball boy, were you? Did you I start? was not a ball boy. Oh, you've I'm never for, been a ball never boy? I've never been a ball boy. Oh. I uh, thought it was I like wish. this progression. I, I, I wish I was a ball boy. Um, no, I mean, I had a few sort of random summer jobs there and then ended up working in the, you know, Wimbledon being Wimbledon, it has a sort of top seeds locker room, what they call the members locker room, where the, you know, top 40 players and men's players in the world are um, allocated their own lockers. And I started working there almost in like a player liaison type role where, you know, in basic terms, you're sort of babysitting the 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 best men's tennis players. Where with something like Wimbledon and tennis being tennis, on any given day you can have a match which can go be over in one hour, be over in four hours. Um, players are warming up. And, you know, we're talking about rituals before a race. One of the things I've loved about that job is just basically seeing the different ways these athletes prepare to perform and obviously tennis is such a psychologically and physically demanding sport and the differences you see between a rafa and a andy and a roger is like crazy and you wouldn't know they're playing the same sport sometimes where some guys are just watching tv chilled out other guys are shadow boxing in the corner um and, you know, it's a pretty rare sport where you're in the same locker room as the person you're about to go and play five sets of tennis on centre court against. So, And that's the hardest thing is, too, is that you don't know if that match before you sometimes is going to go for one yeah. hour or five. Yeah, so, no, I mean, you know. in terms of just, like, timing your warm-up, it is, I don't envy the physios and um, conditioning coaches because you're sort of ramping up and, it, you know, it might go to a tie break and you either you're going to be on court in 15 minutes or you could be on two court hours. in two hours. So just mentally, I think that's what makes it so tough as well is you just don't have any, unless you're first on, you have no certainty about when you're sort of trying to peak that adrenaline or um, get in that right headspace where, yeah, and you know, so I can imagine your phone is full of selfies with the boys or girls. Uh, <laughs> and um, the, is there a WhatsApp group you're a part of? Uh, yeah. It's not quite that level. Uh, I mean, the main, you know, the, the main thing is just, you know, I think one of the reasons why Wimbledon kind of distinguishes itself from other, you know, Grand Slams and tennis tournaments is, yeah, tennis players and, you know, most athletes are fairly superstitious people. So just having a familiar face, even if, you know, you're not building relationships with every single player, but for them, just knowing, oh, who's this, who's this guy who's, you know, essentially hassling me to get to my match on time, just being able to recognize you. And, you know, I think that's where it's tough, where you see players' reactions after a loss, where they're coming off center court, and it's a pretty lonely sport tennis at the you know best of times where you know you're coming off court and then you're just yeah especially this year with the pandemic there was so few people allowed in these spaces um you know obviously some players are smashing rackets other players are crying in the corner and just being able you know being able to manage you've got the media essentially knocking on the door saying we want to interview this player they've got doping control and just knowing you know this player needs more time, This, you know, give him an extra 10 minutes or 
most players, you know, some of the some of these players are nineteen years old, eighteen years old. They <laughs> they just want to see their mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, so there is a kind of uh, yeah responsibility which I have always tried to take seriously. At the same time that I'm just enjoying, you know, I some of my foundational memories of sports are watching someone like Roger Federer play on center court and now being able to sort of see him, you know, go about his career and yeah. talking about extending a career. He's now 40 years old. And I remember a few years ago seeing him doing his cat cows before a match. And I was like, okay, cat cows, add them to my <laughs> tick. <laughs> yeah. And then stretchy band. I got yeah, to get yeah. one of those stretchy bands, you know? Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's where it's interesting as well as, you know, you'll see some of the players are, ice bathing after every match I've never seen Roger or Rafa go anywhere near an ice bath and you know that's not to say ice baths aren't worthwhile but I think a lot of these things are as much mental as they are physical and you know if hopping in a ice bath is going to help you feel like you're starting that recovery process then yeah, I think it, surely it has to be like Roger has to have this like amazing genetic makeup too though of just like being able to be at that level for so long and you sort of look at what sort of Andy's body has done uh, yeah. at that same level for the sort of a slightly different period of time but um, you know I'm sure some of it's luck some of it's preparation um, but you know some of it I think is just the the nature of your body's ability to somehow handle that stress you know yeah um, um yeah, and in terms of just, like, seeing, you know, when Andy was at his peak and winning Grand Slams, I always said, I don't think there's a fit athlete in the world. Like, the amount of work he put in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the like, cardio-wise, strength-wise, he, I mean, he was just absolute machine in every aspect of the sport and, you know, candidly, was working a lot harder than someone like Roger to maintain that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, Roger and Rafa, not to say, by no means have they not trained as hard, but yeah, they've had the benefit of not having to kill themselves in the gym to yeah. essentially make their bodies bulletproof. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, good insight there. Um, talk us through a quick um, Bruce Springsteen story. <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you have a tat of, of I do. I do have a a tattoo of Bruce on my inner arm so that when I'm I'm running I have the ghost of Bruce guiding me through these dark, dark <laughs> races. Um and actually, you know, Bruce released his memoir a few years ago and I you know, I was working in publishing at the time, so I, I got to go to a sort of book release party and there was a sort of very brief opportunity to meet him and you know this was obviously something as a big Bruce fan I'd spent a lot of time thinking like oh what will I do and you know I came up to him and basically hugged him and then just showed him the tattoo on my arm and you know Bruce Springsteen being Bruce Springsteen he has seen a lot of tattoos of himself and you know I said to him I'm like I'm sure you've seen a lot of these and then he you know grabbed my arm and Bruce looked at Bruce and you you know I think he's not to disparage other people's Bruce Springsteen tattoos but I think he's seen some rubbish some some bad ones (laughs) so I was touched because he grabbed you know grabbed my arm and then he was really just 
taking it in and then he was like nodding and was like yeah this is a good one and then he grabbed my arm and brought it a little bit closer he was like oh I think this is the best and my friend who was there has you know photos of this process of Bruce like you know looking into his own eyes and being like yeah that's a good one um so yeah I mean that was definitely in terms of Bruce moments that was uh that was pretty surreal but yeah, I mean, when I was a teenager, I was lucky enough to see Bruce play Hammersmith Apollo, which by Bruce Springsteen standards is a tiny venue. Yeah, yeah. And it was also somewhere that, for Bruce fans who know, he played probably the most important show of his early career at Hammersmith Apollo in 1975. So he hadn't been there in 30 years, and then he came back on stage and was just like, wow there's a lot of ghosts here and i didn't you know at the time i didn't realize how significant a show it was but yeah you know you talk about my relationship to marathon running bruce is someone who i've seen i think close i mean over 30 times now and he's someone who every single time you see him will play a three-hour show and you know, I, I saw him actually play what was his longest show ever in Philadelphia a few years ago, and it was a four-hour show. And this guy is, you know, at the time in his mid-60s, and, yeah, just in terms of where I get my inspiration, I've never really been confined to just athletic performance. And, I mean, obviously I enjoy his music, but there is something just, like, very inspiring about seeing this guy progressed through his career and you know as i'm getting older sort of seeing him you know reckon with his own age and also just kind of keep on, <laughs> yeah keep on performing at this level where yeah. um whether he is playing hammersmith apollo or he's playing um a massive stadium there's a sort of intimacy to it which is pretty incredible sounds some cool stuff i mean i'm not as big a fan as you but like the um I don't think I've ever seen him live, but um, yeah, like that's, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that show that he did on Broadway yeah, was pretty yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. So that's sort of a reinvention of what he was doing or a giving back to the fans sort of a thing, yeah, you know. exactly. Um, and that podcast that he's now doing with Barack Obama, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I've listened to a couple of those. This um, is the equivalent, the, <laughs> the Obama-Bruce um, <laughs> connection. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, I think he's just... Uh, as someone who's just sort of gone through his career and like thoughtfully, yeah, I mean, the the way he'll, you know, you mentioned his Broadway show, but he'll play, you know, he'll play giant stadium, which is 80,000 capacity stadium um, in New York. And he'll sort of be able to talk about things in a way that makes it feel like you're just like in his living room. And I think that's why his podcast has been so successful because there's this sort of, earnestness and this authenticity to bruce which is why you know so many people relate you know people are like oh why did a kid from london grow up um loving someone who talks about new jersey and new york so much and Mm. so well he's not you know he's really just talking about these fairly universal things and um yeah i mean the one thing i'll say is I did make the mistake of going to a Bruce Springsteen show and then running a half marathon the next day and four four hours on your feet and then trying to run a marathon a half marathon the next day is not it's not the best training recommendation. Don't recommend uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, all right, Matt. Well, look, let's uh, let's take. A, I think we should wrap that up. Yeah, Thank yeah. you very much. I'll need to take a selfie of uh, exactly where we're um, we're sitting, and then. Uh, Thanks for yeah, sharing the. That. that was great. Thanks for sh- sharing your time. Ramble too much. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Great little chat. Love the fact that we were sat in the middle of Richmond Park doing that. I hope you enjoyed the bird noises and the Heathrow flight path and the occasional helicopter flying by. Um, the background chain noise as all those bikes just whizzed past us as we were sat there. But to be honest, it was pretty peaceful there having a conversation and hope you enjoyed it. Um, obviously, at Cairo London, we love to help you guys perform at your best. And if, like Tom, you were thinking, you know what? I really wouldn't mind getting myself moving or some of that tension released from my spine. Uh, head over to cairo.london, our website. Um, you'll find loads of information there about our five different clinics across uh, southwest London and central London. But also we've got this new offering or an expanded offering of sports therapy and massage. So we converted the clinic in Fulham, from a Cairo specific clinic. We moved that to a bigger space on the other side of Fulham and on Wandsworth Bridge Road, we now have a massage specific clinic. So in Richmond, Fulham and Marlebone, we now offer massage therapy along with our chiropractic. So go and check it out. Uh, and I'm sure between the chiropractors and the massage therapists, the sports rehabilitation experts, we'll be able to help you perform at your best. Thanks.